again, it, I don't care how much breath mm. work you do, how much meditation you do, future creation. <laughs> if you don't go back and make sense of that past that you try to run away from, that you don't want to deal with, you don't want to look at, you don't want to talk about. If you don't go back and try to make sense of that, you will always be um, finding yourself triggered back into an unconscious regressed place as that three-year-old and reacting like that. That's why when you see your partner, you're like, God, he's acting like a child or she's like a little baby. Oh my gosh, you're acting, you know, it, that's exactly what's happening. And so most of this time, it's unconscious conditioning. Welcome to the Pave Your Paradise podcast. I'm Mandy Ross, international media personality, speaker, writer, life cheerleader, and coach. Each episode, I'll share a guest or an idea to help you blast through your limiting beliefs, nourish your soul, and connect with yourself to take your relationships, health, business, and life to a next level. We don't play small. We're meant for great things. We take our struggles and turn them into slam dunk successes. This is the place for you to create your best you so you can pave your personal path to paradise. Are you with me? Let's do this. Hello and welcome back to the show. Whether you're just tuning in for the first time or you're a regular listener, thank you so much for joining me on Pave Your Paradise podcast. I'm Mandy and today I am so excited to share someone with you guys who I have an immense amount of appreciation and respect for for what he is creating in this world. Dr. Nima Ramani is a chiropractor, a global lecturer, a coach, a transformational facilitator, a healer, and so much more. I actually discovered Dr. Nima's work many years ago, but it wasn't until a little while ago, one of my close friends took one of his workshops and had an amazing life-changing result. Because of that, I started tuning in to what he had going on. I was really intrigued with the work that he was doing, not just on helping others heal their physical bodies, but specifically on helping others heal their emotional internal wounds. He helps others who are stressed, depressed, and anxious to living powerfully aligned and on purpose. After building a successful chiropractic practice in Maple Ridge, BC, he sold his clinic in June 2016 to pursue his passion of teaching and coaching professionals who are stressed, depressed, and anxious to transform and have their best year ever in both a private and corporate setting. Aside from being in practice part-time at Limelight Well, Dr. Nima has integrated all the mind-body tools in his quest for healing stress-related disorders into one simple-to-follow method called the Overview Method, which is the adjustment above Atlas that he teaches one-on-one and in groups all over the world, including a weekly live Facebook broadcast show called Trigger Proof with engaging and edutaining content filled with inspired authenticity. In this episode, we are deep diving into so many incredible topics. We cover everything from triggers to anxiety to social media to intimacy and relationships to healing yourself outwardly but also your inner childhood wounds to how to navigate difficult situations and so much more. Dr. Nima is a breathing, living, walking example of paving your own path to paradise and I am so thrilled to be able to share this interview with you guys. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed creating it for you. Hello. Hello, Dr. Nima. 
I feel like singing your song right now. Dr. Nima, you're here. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful time to be together. Welcome and thank you for joining me on today's show. Awesome to be here, my dear. I look forward to this. I've been looking forward to this since you reached out and we had our conversation and uh, there's so much juicy stuff to talk about. Yes, I'm so ready to dive into this delicious conversation together. What was the first thing you did when you woke up this morning? The first thing that I did when I woke up this morning, I can't, I can't talk about that on, uh, <laughs> 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 oh, wow. I'm yes. not usually, I'm not usually <laughs> stumped on a, I'm not usually stumped on an interview ever, ever. But this morning happens to be one that I'm actually stumped. So I, that's, I can't, I can't, it's PG-13, so I can't really talk about like what's the first thing. literal? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Like a really bad uh, connotation. But that's okay. No worries. I, I'm not going to say I understand. But I love that. But I love that because it's so unpredictable. And I like that you stumped me because never before have I ever been like, uh, I can't say that, you know, I'm usually so open and like vulnerable and I'll share and I'll be like, boom. but this time I, I, I kind of blushed. I was like, woo, okay, maybe not, maybe not this time. I can't really talk about that right now. What, what I did this morning when I woke up. <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate the honesty. Well, moving along then, aside from whatever it was you were doing this morning, first thing, and aside from your work, what gets you up in the morning? What gets me up in the morning, um, basically, uh, I could tell you what it, what the answer, what it used to be, and then what it's transformed into, which makes it interesting. Uh, what got me up in the morning before, uh, was like fear fear got me up a, a great deal of anxiety I would wake up in this panic uh heart racing uh this feeling of doom and gloom like the world was caving in and I would go to work like that as a healthcare provider feeling that way and feeling totally ashamed about that so what got me up in the morning was absolute paralyzing fear and anxiety and it wasn't until I delved into these you know the, the root cause of the root cause which caused me to kind of transform what I offered to the world that now what gets me up in the morning is, you know, when I'm really keen on my routines, uh, what gets me up in the morning, I put my feet on the ground and I'm, you know, I'm grateful for just the opportunity to do what, do what it is that I get to do. And, you know, what gets me up in the morning is this burning desire to expand, burning desire to expand my reach, burning desire to, to better myself to fight against that little dark passenger, the war with my ego, the battle with my ego, that's always saying, you're not enough, you're not good enough, you can do more, you can achieve more. And quieting that voice and being kinder to myself and doing it for the purpose of not only self-expansion, but actually help others with the exact thing that I uh, struggled with. Uh, I remember the pain of what I've, you know, what I've actually experienced, not only in my healthcare journey as a provider, but actually as a human being going through divorce and career transform, career change, and what I like to call transitional anxiety. And I just love helping people, you know, with that. Like this morning, I got up um, to a text message, a text message from a client of mine, and she basically said, "I'm just going to read it to you." She said. Uh, every day I'll be grateful to you for the incredible change you've made in my relationship with my mother. We are discovering each other again, and all day 
We are willing to be close to one another for the first time. I only want to remind you how great you are. Have a good day. And that's a client of mine. Uh, so what gets me up in the morning, um, depending on my mindset, about kind of like a little healthy dose of fear, a little healthy dose of desire, a little healthy dose of overcoming lethargy and a deep desire to make a difference for other people. So a little bit of all of those. Mm. <laughs> that sounds like a recipe for success for your day. And I love that. I love that. Like everything you touched on is, is something that I think others can strive for to be able to especially wake up with that burning desire to live out your passion and your purpose. And I know that you are totally living, breathing, walking that. So I love that. I'd be lying (laughs) if I said it was like amazing all the time, but I just wanted to be honest and say it's a little sprinkle of all of those things. What gets me up in the morning? What has been a highlight so far? Okay. Uh, one of the highlights of my week was being able to connect with my twin brother and cousins when we went to a, a, played a game of golf for the first time. I mean, I've been working so much that I had committed to really spending time deepening my relationships with the most important people. And so we had a golf uh, foursome, and that was a highlight. And then we had a barbecue at my brother's place. That was one highlight. A second highlight that I really wanted to share is that there's a marine biologist client of mine from Sweden who spent 47 years going from one relationship to another, and he kind of gets into relationships by default. He basically, he's a wonderful guy, really good looking, he's fit, and he's been in two long-term relationships, one that was seven years long and the other that was 10 years long, and both of them were kind of by default. He wouldn't have picked them, he just they just showed interest in him and he jumped. You know what I mean? I don't know if you can relate to that, Um, but he just kind of like said, yeah, okay. And so he ended up 17 years in these relationships knowing it wasn't really fulfilling and realizing now at this age that he keeps falling into these same patterns where he becomes extremely needy. He disconnects from himself. He makes it all about the other person and just becomes this, like codependent in in all of these relationships Mm. and he had a massive heartbreak just weeks ago where every single one of his weaknesses after a brief stint with a really high value woman that he really found and he just kind of put all his eggs in one basket and became infatuated with her and after a five-day what's supposed to be romantic trip to Croatia, she at the end of it sat down and made a laundry list of everything that was kind of wrong with him that exposed all of the things that he just couldn't stand about himself. And he just felt absolutely, completely defeated. And so he's kind Mm. of working together. And that was our first kind of introduction. And we went in and did a session and I did the overview method on him. And he basically reverted back to when he was nine years old and he wasn't picked for sports in school. And it was that little boy that um, has been pretty much running his life and showing up in relationships. And when he gets triggered, he regresses Mm. back to that nine-year-old. And so it was the nine-year-old that showed up. In fact, I even asked him, I said, that was probably what showed up in the relationship. And his mind was blown because he said, Actually, it's funny. One of the things she told me was that I was being like a child. And I'm like, yep, that's totally normal. And he was like, I can't believe it. That's exactly the feedback that she was giving me. And so what we did was we regressed him back to that nine-year-old. We cleared the resentment and we got him to connect to himself for the first time. And I asked him to kind of look at that little boy. This is what we do in our sessions. And he couldn't. And one of the things he said that really blew my mind, he said, 
I can't look at him. Like, I don't want to. I'm so ashamed of him. And I said, how do you think he feels knowing that you said that? <laughs> and he just, that just floored him. It just blew his mind. He just basically really finally connected to him and saw all of the amazing parts of that kid and made a commitment to reestablish a new relationship with him and felt completely different and completely made sense of every relationship that he ever got into and why was because he was showing up as that kid and now he's committed to reparenting that kid, being connected with him and loving on him so that he didn't have to wait for somebody else to do it and lose himself. In oh my goodness. So that was the highlight of my, oh, wow. those two things. <laughs> <laughs> Nima, what you just said right there, I think so many of my pave your paradise listeners can relate to because there's so much trauma. There's so much hurt, pain, and so much of that, that we hold on to myself included. And it's not until you address and go back to that inner child yeah. that, needs to be reparented that you can progress and, and it will show up in every area of your life. And that's, I think one of the things that I love the most about the method that you, you have created and you use with your people is that in itself, it's going back. So if you could share a bit more about that method that you use and how people out there might be able to, I know that, you know, obviously seeing you in person is the best way to experience it, but maybe there's some some takeaways you could touch on that they might be able to even start doing today at home yeah so you're talking about kind of like your younger self inner child stuff is that what you're asking yeah what you did with um, the gentleman sure. that you sure. worked on well what I did was uh, the thing is is I've been a chiropractor for the last 18 years and I've been struggling to get to the root cause noticing patterns of why my patients were coming in they were always for stress-related problems always and so I wasn't really, a, like, I'm, a, we do miracles on the table, but mm -hmm. I always, after 10, 15 years, I could always see that there was something deeper. That was, like, surface level? Yeah, like, totally. not to put down what, any no. of the chiropractic work, no, but that no. was kind of, like, surface level, and it was always something far deeper yeah. that you wanted to, like, dive into. I call it going upstream. And when you go upstream from the stress-related problem, usually it's a relational breakdown. If I were to ask you what had stressed mm -hmm. you out, it was usually some sort of a separation form of trauma. Uh, a breakdown, a mm. affair, uh, there's some sort of an abuse, there's a, a codependent dynamic. That's usually what stresses most people out. And then if they don't get to the root cause of that and address the wound, the emotional wound, then it starts to manifest physically with hormonal and digestive issues and chronic pains and uh, anxiety and headaches and all of these things, right? Um, so I just started doing these workshops in my office in my clinic starting 10 years ago called Life Skills for a Stressful World, basically taking all of the work that I was studying in my own personal development to help my own kind of stresses and anxieties, using the work of John mm -hmm. Martini, Byron Katie, all of these really great spiritual and personal development teachers that I was just learning for my own personal growth. I started giving myself permission to teach my patients so that they could see that they could be at cause for their self-healing rather than putting it all mm -hmm. on the doctor. Um, so uh, really my whole purpose is to become a self-healer. And so you can do that when you start to, uh, John's work, John Martini's work is all about asking questions 
which alter your perceptions and change your thinking and meaning and perceiving about certain events so that you can take the victim of your history that you usually kind of tell that story that you're a victim of your history and what he likes to call you become a master of your destiny. Changing the story is what I started to teach my my patients and the ones that would show up and participate in these workshops would get better faster and the ones that didn't would kind of stay stuck. And so I started to just to clarify for those listening, when you say they'd start to get better, you meant physically yes. and mentally. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They would okay. heal. They're, they're healing whatever their problems, whether they came in with aches and pains and digestive issues and all that. They would finish the workshop where we took old stories from their past and turn them around. And all of a sudden they come back and go, my gosh, my constipation's better. Or I'm going, you know, like my hormonal issues, my, my blood pressure's normalized or I'm not anxious anymore. I'm like, okay, great. Because we're dealing with the mind and the body. So, you know, it's just kind mm. of an integrating mind and body type of awareness in healing. And I was just kind of promoting that in my little clinic in Maple Ridge. And I just dreamed of some doing more, doing, you know, consistently saying, you know, I'm giving myself permission to travel around the world and teach these tools elsewhere. But in order to do that, I had to refine the methodology. So every time I would go through a really dark, deep crisis, it would force me to kind of go into the work and refine tools and methodologies that helped pull me out. And I'd be like, oh, here's a discovery I made in my recovery. And then I would integrate it into my methodology. And I call that the overview method. And the reason why I call it the overview method is because when the astronauts would leave the planet, they would see the Earth kind of from a big picture perspective, and they would come back transformed people. They were never the same. They, you know, imagine going to the moon and looking at the Earth from the moon. You, you come home and things don't feel the same because as I'm sitting here in my office in Yale Town, downtown Vancouver, it's kind of difficult for me to have a a universal type of perspective of who I am, where I am geographically, universally, you know, in space. But when you go out in the moon and you look down, you have this cognitive shift that happens in self-awareness. And so that's called the overview effect. There's a thing you can look up. It's called the overview effect. It's like a cognitive shift that astronauts would feel when they would leave the planet and see it from the big picture perspective. And so because I love to integrate everything that I learn and that I'm a teacher at, at heart, I integrate it all. And so I call it the overview method, which is a self-inquiry tool that helps you clear past resentments, past traumas, reconnect to the younger self that had made up stories about itself saying, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of love. I don't deserve to be loved. All of these stories that we unconsciously carry and play out in our relationships and stop us from stepping up in our work and and imposter syndrome and all of the ways that it shows up, including our health, it's a self-inquiry tool that I teach that helps you change the story and find your power and give yourself permission to step up and shine. So I, I teach what I most needed to learn. So the overview method itself is is kind of a moderately simple to follow uh, once you learn it. I mean, the first time that you learn it, it seems a bit complicated. It's asking questions which you've probably never been asked before, finding duality and integrating your polarities and uh, the yin and the yang getting together. It's, it's based on universal principles. 
and it helps you reconnect with your younger self to help you get connected with, um, you know, your vision so that you can have a, a bigger picture for your life so that you can take the stresses and instead of seeing it as in the way, you see it as on the way. My client in Sweden there, he saw that nine-year-old boy when he wasn't being picked for sports. He didn't see it as in the way anymore. He saw it as on the way to giving him all of the superpowers that he has in today. And that's what the, the methodology does. I love that. I love that you are empowering others to take full control of themselves and their destiny versus trying to just feed them information. You're actually giving them the tools to which they can then apply to their own lives Mm -hmm. based on what you've gone through and what's worked for you directly. And I I just think that's such a a brilliant method to be teaching others. Yeah. Yeah, It's not about information. I mean, you can go read books Mm -hmm. and what I like to call shelf help. This is really, really, this is about transformation. So transformation requires Mm. a deep look at uh, the truth, which most of us don't want to because we're hiding behind lies. And so the truth will set you free, but first it will scare the crap out of you, piss you off and burn a hole through your soul. (laughs) So I work with those that are actually wanting to heal. Most people come in and say, oh, I want to heal my anxiety. I remember one lady, I'm getting anxiety. I have so much anxiety. And I I deal with this and I've gone to different doctors. And then I took one look at her. I looked her in the eye and I said, anxiety is a distraction from a lie and a contradiction, something that you are incongruent. It's a, it's a contradiction in your life. It's a distraction for a lie. Where are you lying? And all of a sudden she just kind of got so triggered and she was like, ah, nothing, never mind. And she kind of was kind of made her way out of my office. And it, it, it goes to show you how, not everybody's ready. <laughs> Not everybody's Oh, ready. yeah. It's interesting, too, how you say the word specifically distraction, because we're living in an epidemic of a distracted society. I follow you um, and your social media, and I know you post a lot of things, actually, that have to do with distractions and triggers. And, you know, social media in itself is designed to literally trigger us and distract us and have us addicted in a very discreet manner. And a lot of people don't look at it like that, but it, but it truly is. And I'd love you to share your thoughts on that. First and foremost, I believe everything is kind of like a manipulation. A conversation is two people. I'm going to use the, in quotation, manipulating the direction towards whatever idea that they have. When a baby is trying to get ice cream or whatever, or crying or whatever, that's a form of manipulation. Like everything is a manipulation. We don't have to place value judgments on, on that word. Of course, that these are advertisers, you know, Apple, Facebook, these are companies that are selling advertising. So they're going to do whatever it is possible to guide us to stay on our devices a consuming content that then helps advertisers sell more products and keep the whole machine going. Is that a manipulation? Of course it is. Is news a manipulation? Of course it is. If most of the time, if we're just unconscious that that's happening, then we are uh, exposed and we are uh, vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I know what's happening. I know that this smartphone here is designed to get me hooked on using it so that I can get the dopamine whenever I post the picture and then you like it. Uh, it, It's just most of this is unconscious. Uh, There's nothing wrong with Mm -hmm. it. It's just 
unconscious. And what I would love to do is to get people awakened and aware. And these devices um, and, you know, social media can actually be used to awaken as well. So it's just a matter of choice. Mm -hmm. But if you're, you're asleep and unconscious, you have no say. You're completely unconscious. So I, I mean, thanks to Facebook, I've connected with friends. Uh, you and I have connected like hallelujah. You know, mm-hmm. I've connected the social media stuff. <laughs> We're now sharing a message right now. You're sharing content that hopefully awakens many millions of lives. It depends on your, uh, your use, your intention behind it. So my whole say is that my job is to be awakened and aware to my uh, vision and purpose and use whatever tools are around me to carry that forward. So I'll use Facebook advertising. Mm-hmm. And so is that a manipulation? Well, if some of the copy that I write resonates with you and it totally speaks to your heart and says, this is exactly what I'm going through. I would like help to solve this problem. Well, then, you know, all the merrier, you know, but it's all up to the individual totally. Uh, all, all up to the inv- individual to take responsibility for themselves to become conscious. And yes, it, sometimes I've used it as a distraction. That's up to me to reconnect back with myself. So 100% self-responsibility. Mm. I think you said the word being intention. I think that's the big mm-hmm. one because it is. It's really like what is the intention of someone who, I mean, there's obviously the big heads who create these apps mm-hmm. that, have different purposes. Like if we're really being honest, they have different purposes. They can, they can help us in many ways, but they can harm us in many ways as well. And as you said, it's like the intention behind it could be from a positive place or space, but it's who's receiving it at that end line, who is ultimately going to decipher what it means for them. And it's, it boils down to that awareness. You just touched on social media and I know that you work a lot with clients who are suffering from what they describe as anxiety. You had talked about that being a distraction for a lot of people, or that's not really the root of what they're experiencing. They just call it anxiety. Social media obviously can act as a trigger for some people and can lead for them to feel like they are having anxiety or panic attacks around social media and triggers. I'm really curious to know what you have discovered with a lot of your clients, what the real root causes of anxiety are. Mm. Well, that's a, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is something that I battled for so long and um, this is a buzzword that's a multi-billion dollar industry and everybody seems to have their own kind of uh, answer and response to it. But my journey with understanding anxiety has has gone through so many ups and downs and in my latest understanding has been working with a neuroscientist, Dr. Russell Kennedy, who has kind of created and and is awakening uh, a, the world to a really a new model of what anxiety is and how to uh, overcome. Essentially, basically, anxiety is a story that we make in the brain to explain and justify a state of alarm in the body. I'm going to say that again. Anxiety is a story that we make in the mind to explain or justify the state of alarm that we feel in the body. So alarm, it's basically alarm. Anxiety is a state of alarm that's in the body. And there are so many reasons why that state of alarm is there. But the real hallmark of it, the understanding is trauma. 
It's your body is in a fight or flight or freeze state and it's locked in there. It's kind of on a, on a never ending loop. And that state of alarm in the body causes us to go up into the mind and start to look around for cues to explain why we're feeling this way. It's like, for example, oh my God, I feel a state of alarm in my body. Therefore, my mind is going to say I'm having a heart attack. Or my mind is going to say it's because my my mortgage, I'm going to lose the house. Or I'm going to lose my job. Or my kids are sick and dying. So that state of alarm that comes up in my in my body, I'm going to look around for evidence to explain what that is. And anxiety is just the story that we make up about the state of alarm that happens in the body. That makes total sense. And so to heal that, it takes, it's a practice, okay? There's no quick fix. There's no, you know, there's, sometimes there is, depending on when my clients come in and we find that, that trauma that it, that's there and we, depending on how old you are, we will first and foremost, the first step towards healing all of that, number one, is we need to do a practice of nervous system regulation, starting with breath. Uh, chiropractic care works great. Exercise, nutrition, um, you know, creating a series of habits and routines and rituals and being intentional with my day. You know, if I start the night before and plan my whole day ahead, and I know exactly what, what, where I'm going, what I'm doing. And then I start in the morning and maybe I do a meditation and then I, I start planning my day and I'm, I'm intentional with my day. I'm less reactive and less triggered and more intentional with my day. I'm less anxious. So mm-hmm. the way that I set up my habits and routines will greatly affect my anxiety levels. You know, it's just, this is the thing that many people who say, oh, it's a mental disorder and it's, it's a mental disease. And my doctor said it comes from a chemical imbalance. That's just a way that I can avoid having to do the work. <laughs> you know, a lot of people use that as an excuse or a justification. Oh, no, no, it's a mental, like you, it's like, it's not going to work. Nothing I do is going to, it's a mental disorder. No, it's a, it's a, it's an alarm state in the body that you have actual, the choices of how you are and behave will make a difference. Oh, Dr. Nima, I oftentimes refer to my own anxiety. And I think that you, again, nailed it with your explanation of it's like, I always question what's the intention behind someone using that word? Have they really done the work? Have they gone deeper past that surface level, uh, you know, reason slash excuse? Or have, are they just, are they copping out essentially and just saying, oh, I have anxiety or oh, I have this, oh, I have My, this. It's like, I think it's again, the, the intentionality behind mm-hmm. how they're using yeah, that term. Um, my experience of that is the harder that people are, the harder that people cling to the, the label as an identity, okay, the less likely they are to have done the work, Okay. <laughs> Wow, I love yeah. it. I love that because it's I can literally if you, if, picture yeah, if you know people in my yeah. mind this scenario. Yeah. You know yes. people exactly. The people who say "fuck you," it's a mental disorder. You can't do anything about it. Stop the stigma. That that and they 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 defend it, which is an ego defense that we you know that our ego does that that pushes away and 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 holds fast to an identity and a label, which is all ego, they're the ones that are least likely to have done the work. If you've done the work, Mm. if you've done the work, here's how you will say it. 
yes, I was born with anxiety. I've had it for a long time. However, I know how to regulate it. I've learned tools. I've understood the mechanisms of the neurology. So I've learned how to take ownership and be at cause. And so I have a say in it. Even though I've been diagnosed, Absolutely. even though I've been diagnosed, I know when it gets better, when it gets worse, what my triggers are, how to, uh, and I've done the work on clearing my past traumas and being an observer to myself. And I've connected in my body and I've done exercise. And those are the people that are, that will say, yeah, I've been diagnosed and I can totally see a, um, uh, that I can manage it based on my activity levels. They're, they're more humble about it. Whereas the ones that are extreme, you know, extremely like hardcore in holding on to the label and getting extremely triggered and defensive seem to be the ones that least likely to have done the work. That's just my experience. I can completely, yeah. I can completely see that. And it's interesting because it also, I think that touches on the dynamics of having a victim totally, mentality totally. versus a, a, an empowered uh, mindset. 100%. And even when you're saying this, like I can literally envision, you know, I've been in that situation where I've stepped to something and the transformation that can occur once you actually are willing to say, you know what? I might have this, but this is not Correct. me. And you disassociate from yourself yeah. from that label. Correct. And it actually gives you more power mm -hmm. because you're yeah. not willing to allow yourself yeah. to just stay stuck totally. in that space. Yeah, the people who um, are stuck in that space, stuck in that victimhood, will listen to what I'm saying right now, get totally triggered, say, fuck him, and, and just <laughs> want to run and, and start <laughs> hating on me. That's just how it works. I, I just, oh I, yeah. And I'm not laughing, <laughs> but by all means, I've been one of yeah. those people. And I know, I know, I feel like you have at some point too, like most of us have been there where we've allowed ourselves to be that victim and not take accountability right. for our own right. transformation. But then you get so sick of your own exactly. excuses. You get to a yeah. point where you're just like, I am not willing to stay stuck in this any longer. No, I won't work with someone unless they've gotten there. That's how I know they're ready. Because mm -hmm. there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with being there, like we just described. Because in your path of spiritual evolution, when something happens, your first level of spiritual evolution is victimhood. And we must have that. And if something happens, you get hurt, something happens, we say it happened to me, right? And in, in this victim kind of mentality has to... It, because it's so you're in such a state of despair you're in such a such a state yeah. of like you can't even like low energy like you can't even get out of bed in the morning that the next level of energy up in order to get you in in motion must be anger which is screw that they did it to me i'm mad which is good it's an it's a leveling up of energy from your despair. So we need to start with victimhood. And what will happen is you'll be in that victimhood, you'll be in that anger, you'll be in that, which is an up level of the despair. But the problem is, is that you can get stuck there and then it'll burn you out. And this is where patients are coming to me. And they're in that space 
So I, I used to knock victim. Yes. I used to knock victimhood and just, just say victims be gone. But then I realized when I went through some shitty things, I was a victim and I realized that it was my victimhood that got me, um, that got me mobilized to take action so that I could empower myself. So that that's my first level going from, I went from despair and I can't move paralyzed in freeze frame in, you know, into mm-hmm. to anger is what got me mobilized, which is good. So that's the first level, right? So once you've gotten that victimhood, yep. okay. And you now, cause of the path to, to healing and spirituality is the next level is the manifester, which is okay. It didn't happen to me. It's going to happen by me. Okay. I'm the one that's going to make it happen before it was it happened to me now it's like i'm gonna make it happen screw this i'm no longer a victim of my past i'm gonna take action and step up and so that's the next level up is the manifester and that's where you start to do your yoga and your journaling and you start working out you start doing the meditations and you start manifesting and saying i'm the one that's you know going to create that and which is critical it's a a fantastic place but what happens is in my experience once you do that, you go, it's going to happen by me, by me, by me. And you're just kind of pushing a boulder up a hill. And, and then it, that gets exhausting. You start to burn out because you're taking, saying that, oh, I must work harder. And, and so the next level, after my next breakdown of burnout after that, I discovered the next level is a channeler. And when you're manifesting in your spiritual evolution is that it's going to happen through me instead of me trying to make shit happen. I'm just going to allow, I'm going to release. I'm going to surrender the control. I'm going to allow. And let let me give you an example. If I was, if you and I were having this interview two years ago, I would have sat down with notes, prepared it. I would have had this key kind of like, um, you know, point form, uh, everything that I wanted to cover. I was like, Oh, it's going to happen by me because I was in that stage. Now I'm working on the third stage, which is the channeler, which is the allowing it to emerge. And I, and you, you asked me before the interview, you said, so what questions do you want me to ask you? And then I said, don't tell me anything. I want it to just come. I just want it to come naturally. And because I'm consciously Mm -hmm. working on allowing it to emerge, I just had trust and faith that you, you're, I said, just ask me whatever you're curious about because your curiosity will drive this conversation exactly where it needs to go. Because I trust that whatever you want to know and whatever I want to share, the message that I want to share will come through me. So that's the challenge. That's the channeler. And so that's the kind of the next level of, of spiritual evolution, but victimhood must be where we begin. I love working with people who are ready to let go of that and they ready to kiss their victim story. Goodbye. Oh my goodness, Nima, the, first off, I absolutely love the, just the visual metaphors that you used. And whilst you were talking, it was interesting. Just check this out. I had these, these insights come to me while you were describing this beautiful flow. Mm -hmm. And it was almost as if I pictured these different levels of spirituality and the victimhood is almost like a spiritual infancy because you really are, you're giving into that notion of feeling helpless. And then the next level of that anger that, you know, 
doing it's by me is almost like that childhood having a tantrum almost <laughs> so i picture this next like the child spirituality yes. and then finally when you're channeling <laughs> and you become that channeler mm-hmm. and you're allowing things to happen yes. through you it's like that's when you can transform yourself more into that adult yes. spirituality <laughs> and that 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 relationship with yourself totally. and mature it totally i mean you, what you're describing, what we're all describing, the, 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 the role when people go to therapy, when people do personal development, essentially what we're doing is we're trying to grow up. We're growing up. Mm-hmm. Because in the olden days, if you and I were raised on, you know, in the tribal environment, which is where we were really kind of where, where we really came from, we had these rites of passage. You know, uh, when I hit a certain age, then I am kind of called on to go off by myself into the unknown, scary, uh, exposed to the elements and to go through a series of tests where I'm facing my fears and I go through some sort of a, a transformation, a death of an old identity. And I emerge as a new, as a, the adult, you know, going through trials and tribulations and some suffering and thinking that I can't make it. And then I come back. It's kind of like the hero's journey. I come back to the village, an adult, like a, like an emerged uh, grown up, right? And we're all mm-hmm. put through that to a certain degree as part of our tribal ancestry. The problem is now we don't have that. Not only do we not have that, but we, Parents often are either completely absent or they're so, you know, hooked on and, and obsessed with protecting the kid that they just want to protect them from everything. And they're all in their screens all the time and they're overprotected. And so they don't actually go through in a family dynamic. They don't go through these trials and tribulations. So we get stuck in a juvenile state or they are traumatized. And they are regressed into kind of like arrested development of their spiritual growth because of the trauma. So we're a bunch of children, wounded children, walking around, playing victim, wanting to get into relationships with other people or trying to find a doctor to replace those parental roles that we didn't get. Whether it's a relationship that you're trying to find the right person to kind of help you grow, you know, do the work of growing up so you don't have to do it. And nothing we find outside of us will ever be enough. And that's the journey of life. (laughs) So all therapies and personal development. And essentially what I tell my clients in in our program is you're here to learn how to grow up, how to fend for yourself, how to have self-resource, how to not be so dependent on externals for self-resource, whether it is approval of other people, um, praise, support, what we're addicted to, and we're so fearful and running away of criticism, uh, fearful of rejection, that we just stay stuck. We stay stuck and paralyzed, afraid to speak up, afraid to play the music of our soul because of all of those fears. And it's just your relationship with fear is really what's got to be looked at and evaluated if you really want to expand in your spiritual development. Mm, that is so beautifully communicated by you and you and I so we so see the same vision in that quest for enlightenment and I often say the same thing it's like many of us are just wounded children walking around trying to adult yep. and trying to to heal and 
I often also say that the true state of enlightenment is going back to your inner child state of being, mm. but not the wounded child no. going back to that beautiful, pure, happy, fearless, joyous little child that we were before the trauma happened. Yeah, totally. Before we decided that we didn't matter. So that's why I created the overview method is kind of like my, that client uh, from Sweden there and every single other one that we go through is reconnecting you with that version and then reestablishing kind of a bond with him or her. And, you know, if you told me last year, I'd be talking about this stuff. I would have thought you were absolutely nuts, <laughs> but it's actually <laughs> 100% truth because my younger, because whenever I get triggered, it's my younger self that's reactive. How funny is it? I wonder if you can resonate with this. When you get triggered, and it's you you touched on this earlier with your client's partner mentioning this, would you say that most people, when they get triggered, they act out like a child? Oh, yeah. There, it's a, when you get triggered, you regress to the age where that feeling, that emotion, that interpretation first came uh, came into your uh, state of awareness and it's all an unconscious process for some people that that might look like intense anger and i could see that being yeah. kind of like a tantrum totally. almost. for other people maybe they break down they shut yeah. down and they start bawling their eyes totally. out. Yeah, yeah it all depends on how you react and it, it, it all depends on your attachment uh with your parents okay there's uh, there's, you know, anxious uh, attachment, there's avoidant, you know, there, you, it all depends on your relation, primary, your relationship with your primary caregivers. That's what it's all about. That's why in order for you to have a healthy relationship, to change toxicity into alignment, we must go back and make sense of the relationship with our primary caregivers and with ourselves. That's the journey of healing that must happen. And it, I don't care how much breath work you do, how much meditation you do, future creation. <laughs> if you don't go back and make sense of that past that you try to run away from, that you don't want to deal with, you don't want to look at, you don't want to talk about. If you don't go back and try to make sense of that, you will always be um, finding yourself triggered back into an unconscious regressed place as that three-year-old and reacting like that. That's why when you see your partner, you're like, God, he's acting like a child or she's like a little baby. Oh my gosh, you're acting, you know, it, that's exactly what's happening. And so most of this time, it's unconscious conditioning. I'm just dedicated to creating a, a community of self-healers and self-regulators and co-regulators that are looking at this and working towards creating deeper intimacy with themselves and others. Oh my goodness, Nima. There are so many golden nuggets of wisdom you have already shared. I'm going to shift gears a little bit now because we've been talking so much about your methods, your insights, your wisdom, which I absolutely love. And I know the listeners out there can get so much value from that. I'd like to switch gears now and talk to you more from diving deeper into you personally. Yeah. I want the audience to get to know you more sure. because I really believe we're a product of our success, the programs, the workshops, the amazing work you're creating this world. And I want people to get to know you on a deeper level. What do you wish you'd known when you first started out doing what you do? I wish I knew how to uh, be at cause for self-regulating my own triggers. I discovered that as, as good of a wizard that I could become at taking past events and turning them into 
what, what whatever was on, in the way to turn it what's on the way and see gratitude in it, not only in myself, but for other people, I still was so reactive in the moment to criticism, so reactive in the moment to perceive rejection. When I would feel negative feedback, criticism, rejection, my two-year-old abandoned self would just all of a sudden get reactive. And some people, when they uh, get triggered, they kind of freeze and they go into a, like a, a, a paralyzed state. For me, I would just get angry. I would just get highly reactive. And this was not just me. It's just, it's kind of like passed down from my parents and their parents. And it was just kind of just what we do. You know, you just get angry. The only emotion that you really should, mm-hmm. you just get angry and react. And instead, and I look back on my whole career with my my staff at the chiropractic clinic or my team when, you know, before I really delved deeper into this work, I would create an environment where people didn't feel safe to give me negative feedback. In other words, it was like, don't tell Nima, you know, don't criticize Nima, mm. don't tell Nima because he's not going to take it very well. And I was aware of that, but I didn't know how to regulate it. And to answer your question, I wish that I learned these intimacy, uh, what I like to call intimacy upgrade tools that I teach now so that I could actually create Mm -hmm. a safe space for people to be themselves and talk, share whatever their feelings were and me not take it on in such a way where I would interpret that as I'm not enough, that I was able to self-regulate my own emotions so that I could actually create a safe space for intimacy. I wish that I was, I knew intimacy and empathy tools when I started. If it wasn't for all of those, you know, breakdowns that I've had, I wouldn't be so passionate about wanting to share these tools with people. Yeah, that often is the case. It's like from our own experiences, even if we're equating them to be not so joyous ones, those are oftentimes the ones that propel us to become what we're actually meant to be Yeah. in the long run. Yeah, yeah. You've obviously built a successful practice. What are some of your daily habits that you swear by for success? Uh, the daily habit that I swear by that makes all the difference is journaling in the evening and morning. Like when I get around to journaling in the evening and I count my wins and I set intentions for how I want to sleep and how I want to feel when I wake up and then I set intentions for the day and I, it's basically like I'm writing, I'm writing out the story of my life, but I'm, I get to narrate it of how it goes. Um, that's probably one of the greatest ones and, and meditation. So the journaling and the meditation mm. and obviously exercise are routines that when I do them, the day is completely different than the days that I don't. That's it. Oh, I totally hear you on that. <laughs> I can totally feel it when I cut one of those things out, like literally journaling, meditation and exercise. It's the difference between an unconscious day versus a conscious day. That's it. Absolutely. And speaking of which, you've touched on this a little bit, (laughs) including our very first question. What does your morning routine look like? I want to have a little covet with this one. I am a morning routine junkie. I swear, I, every successful person I know has some sort of morning routine. It's, it's so different based on the person, but I'm so curious to know what yours looks like. Is it, you, you find it's different? Yeah, I guess it is different for, 
for, uh, for each person. When I am living a, really in alignment with that routine, I wake up and I start off with uh, a workout. And then I finish, once I finish the workout, the, the thing is if I start off in, in the morning, when I do my morning workouts with my workout buddy, we go, we're there at 4.30 in the morning. That's crazy, but I just this year started doing that. And after that's done, um, I will do a meditation afterwards. I'll do a journaling and a meditation, and I listen to my mission statement. This is one of the things that I have is a mission statement, and I've recorded myself uh, reading it. And it's like seven minutes long. And while I'm driving to the gym or uh, driving back, I'm going to sit and listen to myself saying it. And I'm actually going to put my body into the feeling of, of it being true. And so it is all happening as we speak. I mean, I wrote it 2006 when I was a chiropractor in Maple mm -hmm. Ridge We're talking about how I wanted to have a global perspective. And my message is being shared in all four corners of the globe. I was saying that back then, 2006, without any idea of how that's going to happen. And then now today, clients in South Africa, Ethiopia, Dubai, Sweden, Spain, Australia, New Zealand, like all over the world. And so it's coming true. And uh, so that mission statement is a critical component of it because that's kind of my affirmation and visualization at the same time. When you said that, just because I'd love for people to be able to adopt that habit as well, you recorded yourself and mm -hmm. now you play that recording to yourself every single morning. Well, here's the thing. In 20, 2006, I wrote my mission statement and I would read it to myself. But ever since the smartphones and everything have come out uh, years later, um, cause we didn't really have like smartphones in, uh, 2006. I don't mm -hmm. believe now that instead of reading it and plus it's been refined like 30 times every time I go to a seminar or I read a book or I talk mm -hmm. to somebody that gives me, Ooh, I change the language. I refine it. So it's been refined like 20 or 30 times. And now every time I, the last time I refined it was May the 5th. And when I was in Spain, I did a little refinement of it. Mm -hmm. I changed the language of it. And because I was like, oh, I want something else. And I just refined it a little bit. And then I'll re-record myself saying it. It's a recording of me reading my refined mission statement. And every time I make an addition to it, I'll re-record it. So maybe once a year, oh. maybe once a year, I'll make a tweak to it because something sounds a little different or I just learned something new or I want something different. That something's emerged. So that's what I'll do. I'll and that's basically it. And then I get, get going into my day. I'll, that, that's my visualization. It's my affirmation. It's my meditation. It's my exercise. And um, often, you know, I'll listen to an uh, audiobook that has to do with neuroscience and healing. It's like a living transformation, and it gets continuously yep. upgraded yep. with each personal uh, transformation you go with through. With each revelation, with each desire that's shifted, and it's being refined as we go. It's a working, it's a working document in process, in progress. And so this is what we do with all our clients, and it's interesting to get notes from them a year or two later and going, oh my gosh, everything we wrote, I wrote in my mission statement is actually coming true. I can't believe it. Da, da, da. What self-care and spiritual rituals do you love to practice? I know you mentioned meditation as one, but what are maybe a few others that you really uh, swear by? Really interesting question. Um, spirituality can take on many forms. 
Okay. This is something that we kind of talk about a lot within my group calls and everything is spirituality is your level of conscious awareness. And uh, it can take on many forms. Like when you're at the gym, okay. I remember I had a spiritual moment at the gym yesterday with my workout buddy where we decided to do on our last set, we were doing bench. We decided to do in our last set and just go until we couldn't go any further and then go even a little bit further. And we took off a plate and kept going. We just went to burnout. And once that last set was, that, that last rep was done, what we were doing is we just closed our eyes and just felt the burn and embraced the pain. So it's kind of like choosing a pain. And the probably one of the most incredible spiritual practices is the practice of knowingly, deliberately choosing a pain. In neuroscience, we have a higher mind and a lower mind. We have the amygdala, lower mind is the body, okay? And we have the higher centers, cortical centers, intuition, free will, choice, that kind of thing. When I do something like exercise or wake up early or do cold plunge in a cold shower or get into my body through meditation and feel all the feelings and then get myself up into my higher centers in intention, I'm literally choosing discomfort. I'm choosing, mm -hmm. to, I'm choosing the alchemy of transforming pain. And that to me is spirituality. So when you ask what spiritual practices, well, you'll see me jumping early in the morning in, uh, on a Saturday morning, waking up on an ungodly hour with a friend, which is social connection. And we get, we go in and we just jump into the Lynn Valley Canyon and the cold plunge early in the morning and hmm. sit there for 20 minutes in the cold, regulating ourselves, choosing our higher mind over the impulses of the lower mind, which is what spirituality really is. Mm. Oh, that's a beautiful ones. metaphor. Yeah, the hot and cold acclimation is, is an interesting one because I've, I've experienced that myself too. And it's amazing what we convince ourselves that we are or are not capable of enduring right. and it really is a matter of power yeah. over your own so mental capacity so fasting intermittent fasting is a spiritual practice okay the practice of denying myself food goes against my lower impulses that's a form of spirituality mm. so now it's a conscious neuroscientific non-religious for me it's non-religious it can be for you uh, whatever no no judgment there it's a neuroscientific conscious choosing of certain forms of discomfort as an exercise of my higher mind over my lower mind that separates me from my dog Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. For those listening, I definitely want to differentiate. I categorize religion and spirituality in two very separate yeah. categories. So to make that clarified, do you have any self-care practices that you love? Um, self-care practice. All of these are self-care. Everything that we just described is self-care. So I don't see self-care as going to do is like going to do like pedicures and stuff like that. But everything that I just described to you has all been self-care. The meditations, mm -hmm. that is my form of self-care. Exercise, mm. um, doing the overview method. You know, I have an overview meditation that I do, which kind of integrates your duality in each moment and brings you to from your lower mind to your higher mind. I, you know, that's what I do. 
uh, that's a form of self-care. So everything that we've been talking about has been, you know, my self-care. Beautiful. What are you curious about right now, Nima? I'm curious. Hmm, that's a great question. Right now, I'm most curious about how to understand neuroscience and use neuroscience to create the most important thing in, in, in the planet, healthy relationships. How to create amazing relationships using neuroscience. That's my curiosity. I love talking mm. about it. I love teaching it. And once we understand the workings of the brain and what happens when we get triggered, you now have a say in deepening your intimacy towards others. And so I just love teaching what I'm most curious about. Yeah, healthy relationships. I think everyone can relate to totally. that. So I'm really looking forward to what you come upon in your discoveries in that area. Beautiful, yeah. I mean, I'm writing a book called Trigger Proof about that very thing how to hack the ah. nervous system to create better relationships because you've now mastered that relationship with yourself. Well, I am definitely looking forward to reading that once it's published. And I would hope that you will send me a copy, please. You bet. <laughs> Absolutely. What's something that you've failed at? Hmm. What have, what have I not failed at? Well, failed, uh, first of all, it is... I, I look at the word differently. It's like people are like uh, afraid of jumping and doing something because they're afraid of failing. And I tell them, let me put you at ease. You're going to fail many times. So uh, <laughs> when you do it, what have I failed at? I failed at relationships. I have failed at when I sold my practice, I failed at getting what it was actually worth because I over blind in ego, try, you know, traveling around the world, getting all this uh, exterior um, approval that I just blinded myself to what was going on with the accounting. And so I lost a huge chunk of it when I sold my practice and tumbled into a shame spiral afterwards. Um, so I failed at that. I mean, I failed at my marriage, if you can say that. But I mean, it, 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 I, I have a very different, that we, we divorced maybe 2011, 2012. Uh, I have a different mm -hmm. uh, definition of failure. It's just feedback. So failure is something that in every endeavor, there's success and failure, taking them both mm -hmm. in and refining it. So this, mm. the word itself denotes, oh, I failed at this, this relationship. So it basically says, okay, so I'm going to be gun shy when it comes to getting into another relationship because I'm afraid of failure. Whereas I just look at it as, well, it wasn't a failure. It was just an evolution and feedback. Me and my ex-wife are great friends. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we were, were, we're buddies. We got each other's backs. So what have I failed at? I mean, in the traditional sense, yeah, you could say that the marriage was a failure. You could say that the sale of my practice, jumping out of my career and going into a new one, uh, initially when I jumped, the parachute didn't open. So that was a failure. Uh, but um, I just don't see it that way. I see it as, okay, these are just feedbacks that helped me refine and keep going. And the question is, I'm 100% mm. certain of what who I am and what I'm here to do. I'm just, as I step into that vision and mission, I'm going to have success and failure along the way, but that's not going to, you know, distract me, distort me from my path. Yeah, it's interesting the responses I get with that question, and I'm glad that you pointed that out because I have the same feelings around the, the word mistake. Yeah. 
because I really don't truly ever think something's a mistake in the normal kind of average use of that word. I look at everything as it was either a learning experience or I accomplished something. I don't really see it as the normal connotation with the word. I appreciate you explaining what that word means to you or what your definition of failed is. And I think that's really important for people to also take away your insight about how it's never truly a failure because there's always that really important feedback that you get through that. Totally. It's all about feedback. Exactly. It's all about feedback. And then so you test, you refault, that didn't work, this worked, that didn't, and then you keep going. Oh, that's funny. I literally have a quote, and this is to do with business, but I think you can say this about pretty much every area of your life. It's business is a constant game of taking action, observing what works, adjusting what doesn't, and then taking more action. Success requires constant focus, growth, and persistence. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. You never stop. (laughs) consistent. Yeah. It's just a continuation. Yes. Consistent taking action and refining that. Mm. And really, I think beautiful way to continuously grow as well. Totally. We touched on this a little bit and you've mentioned this throughout some of the other answers today, but which hurdles did you personally face and how did you overcome them? Or are you still working through it? Yeah. Well, one of the biggest one of the biggest hurdles that I faced was definitely going through the shame and pain of my divorce. That one. That was the the first one. And the way that I worked through that um, basically was to um, really take full ownership of who I was when I made the decision to get married and to to understand and really embrace the little uh, wounded child in me that had to, that, that, you know, just left because he wasn't getting enough attention. And so to be able to give that to myself and then really look for relationships that are a lot more in alignment. So that was that failure. The, the, the next one that was the biggest one was, as I shared before, when I left my chiropractic practice and sold it for pretty much next to nothing, I wasn't well prepared to move on to the entrepreneur world and to start, you know, doing these workshops. I knew what I I knew what I'm a great at. I'm a wizard at facilitating transformation in people. Running the business wasn't a forte. So I, you know, thought I could avoid that responsibility by getting into a relationship with somebody that I could then delegate all of the responsibility of running the business to and, you know, pretend that I was in a great relationship with her (laughs) and it wasn't. And so the big failure was living incongruently with what I was actually teaching as far as having aligned relationships. And the failure of it was it came to a toxic meltdown where we both kind of, you know, were put in positions where we had to awaken to the fact that neither of us were coming at it from a resource place. We were both kind of using each other to get our survival needs met and the mm. overcoming of it was pretty much the work that I'm doing now, which is reconnecting mm. with the younger self and healing that relationship with self and fulfilling what's missing inside with you rather than through externals, which I was using before, which was with women, with uh, attention from, you know, either uh, clients, social media, applause from, from the stage you know, all of that stuff that I was using externally, I put a pause on it and really went inside and filled it with within 
And that's been kind of the source of my next uh, level, next wave of what I, what I offer to the world. And it's a work in progress. It's something that is always kind of evolving. Okay. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing those two examples, because I think that, again, a lot of people listening can relate to hurdles in their business or professional life, but then also the other spectrum, which is the relational or the personal hurdles of a intimate connection in their lives. So two questions for you. It's kind of an A and B to follow up with those answers you provided of what you've gone through and how, how you are overcoming them. Were the solutions obvious to you or did you stumble upon them? What was the process like? I totally stumbled upon them. And I um, basically, (laughs) essentially, uh, met Dr. Russell Kennedy, and we just started doing uh, somatic work in really creating that safety within my own body, nervous system regulation. So the process was number one, nervous system regulation, which I was talking about from breath, where Mm -hmm. I discovered breath work, and putting Mm -hmm. my highest values into my schedule. The next, you know, like from breath work, chiropractic care, setting habits and routines, filling my day up with high priority events, you know, that's nervous system regulation. Then I cleared my past Mm -hmm. resentments. I moved back in with my parents (laughs) and I was like, Mm -hmm. all right, I'm going to actually deal with this. I'm going to, you know, I put my place up for rent and I went for the entire summer with the sole purpose of healing all of the incompletes, incongruencies, the uh, lies of omission, lies of commission that, you know, you can have in a Persian household. I just got completely congruent with them, with my, with my parents. Please dive into what that experience is like. I think everyone out there listening is like, do imagine if they're not already living with their parents, moving back home and actually living with your parents who you may have a connection with, you may have a very unhealthy disconnect with. Like, what was that like for you to move yourself was, back home as an it adult? Was hell. It was hell. It was absolute hell. And I, instead of running away, which is what I would normally do, I sat in the fire of it and we hashed it out. We worked through it. And I finally was able to let go of the need to be seen by them. It was always about, I need to be seen and heard and understood by my parents. And here I am still trying to be that little kid, be trying to be seen and heard. So it really transformed when I became willing to be the only one to see me, hear me and love me and empathize with myself. Mm. And when that happened, all of a sudden, everything shifted with my parents. Uh, it was like, a you know, something changed and everything. And then I just kind of got back into working and then just teaching other people, people would reach out with the same problem. And I was just sharing what I discovered on my recovery, and they would have massive transformation. So it became the core of my intimacy upgrade offering was everything that I had to go through myself. And uh, oddly enough, the Uh, My last workshop that I did in Vancouver, which uh, was back in May, my mother registered as a participant. (laughs) She she saw me at a talk. She saw me at one of my public talks. She came. They came to support me. But then after the talk, my mom was so inspired. She says, I'm going to come to the workshop, but not to support you. I actually have stuff that I want to work through. And so they've become a lot oh more empathetic. Oh my goodness, <laughs> They've become a lot more empathetic. No, I, I have to ask you, like, from someone who has gone through a very similar journey with you about wanting to be seen, wanting to be heard, wanting to be acknowledged, wanting to be appreciated, and having done that healing work with my parents, how did that feel to you in that moment that she expressed that to you? 
oh, well, I mean, it, obviously it was like, um, it, it felt great. And it was a moment where I could honestly say, it's just, it's just a reflection of what I, the work that I was doing. So I was receiving that feedback and I said, of course, now that it's, it's coming to me because I was able to give it to myself. That's oh my really goodness. The, that, was, that is that was so beautiful. Yeah. So she was a participant. It's totally magical. I, I am so excited for you to have your mom there, not only to support you, but to actually feel the amazing transformational work that you do. The one thing that I was very curious about when you're talking about going back home and your journey from your childhood and being raised in the Persian household and all of these hurdles that you've overcome or are working through at this point. But you talked a lot in the beginning of our conversation about writing your own story, being that master of when you journal, you feel as though you're creating that masterpiece that is your life for yourself. With the two examples that you provided, what would you say is the main limiting belief belief that you were telling yourself prior to your transformation. So with the divorce mm-hmm. and then in the situation with your practice and selling it, what, what was the limiting belief that you had to rewrite for yourself in order to break through? I think this is pretty much a universal one is that I myself, who I am was worthy of love. You know, I was basically operating from a, from an unconscious belief that it was that I don't deserve love. I, I, I myself was not worthy of it. And so this was playing out in the choice of people that I would date. Uh, I mean, it's with everybody. It would, it would play Mm -hmm. out in the choice of people. It plays out in the choice of people we date in our worthiness to step up and serve. And so when I'm in my wound Mm -hmm. and I'm not resourced, that I don't deserve, uh, I don't, I'm not worthy and deserving of love would come up. And so that was, you know, something that we had to really rewrite and uh, clear, not just on a cognitive level, but on a neurological kind of body-based level. And that's been the difference. What support and or resources are available? And what would your personal recommendations be for people who are struggling with some of the things you touched on? resources basically um my my workshop is is probably one of the greatest resources that i know because i've integrated everything that i've ever like you can take little piece meals here and there uh and many people do Mm -hmm. they'll do somatic work they'll do breath work they'll do cognitive work they'll do um you know belief work and limiting belief work and so all of these disciplines are important. It's just there's nowhere that you can go that puts them all together in one. So those are really, mm-hmm. uh, really, it's just it, when you want to heal, you must take a, um, a top down and a bottom up approach. Top down meaning cognitive. Mm-hmm. You got to change your thoughts and perceptions about them, of course. And then a body based. This is what's left out. A body based, which is through breath, through exercise, through attunement, through nervous system regulation. You must do both of them. And so most places kind of you piecemeal them together. I just wanted to create mm-hmm. somewhere where everybody could do it together, like the top, the bottom, uh-huh. and integrate the two together. So that's really the best resources. Any resources that combine top down and bottom up approaches to healing. Yes, the whole mind, body, soul, nourishment really is what you're offering. And aside then from obviously your amazing workshops, are there any other support or resources that you turn to that you feel at least could help in the process of healing? Yeah, somatic work. Definitely. If you can find a somatic uh, practitioner, getting yourself a chiropractor to help with the nervous system, um, any type of a personal trainer, 
getting a coach, get your, getting yourself a coach that is well-versed in, in trauma and uh, transformation, who really has an inspiring story and who's living what they're teaching is very important. Yeah, there's, there's tons out there. But like I said, body-based, um, you know, definitely reading books. Uh, like the Untethered Soul, Conversations with God, the Neurobiology of We by Dan Siegel, anything by Dan Siegel that you can read, the Miracle Morning to help you with your uh, morning routines by Hal Elrod. Um, mm, love Hal. Yeah, exactly. So those, <laughs> those are, are great, yeah. great resources. Yeah. What does a successful relationship look like to you? Ah, amazing. A successful relationship looks like two people who are aware of their core wounds, their abandonment mm-hmm. issues, their betrayal issues, their whatever their core wounds are and their triggers that are both dedicated and committed to self-regulating themselves, not making the other person responsible to make them happy, to self-regulate on their own purpose and learning the art of co-regulating their uh, triggers Mm. saying, listen, Mandy, I know that you have this trigger and this button and these attachment wounds. I have so-and-so attachment wounds. So I'm going to be conscious and aware of your attachment wounds when we have conflict and we can speak to each other from that place. So two people dedicated to co-regulating through breakdowns. That's, Mm, that's, that's a successful relationship to me. A successful relationship is two people willing to fail and get back up and do it again. That is true partnership. That's teamwork right there. Yeah. I want to do this segment called quickie time with you. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and it's just the first thing that comes to your mind. Just say what it is. If you were to recommend one book that could positively change someone's life, aside from the one that you're writing, what book would it be? The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, I have to say. It's just changed my entire life of starting, you know, habits and routines. So doing The mir- the Miracle Morning really has, has been the biggest one for me, yeah. What quote do you live by and why that one? When the voice and the vision on the inside becomes louder and more profound than opinions on the outside, you've begun to master your life. And that's by John Martini, my mentor. And the reason why that's so relevant for me is because I, it's really about listening to the, the calling of your soul and not being perturbed by externals, whether being drawn in by praise or uh, running far from criticism uh, to be able to listen to our inner voice and to go based on just that rather than externals is probably the hallmark of human existence that few people ever achieve. That is such a beautiful insight. On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? I'm about a nine for sure. There's not too many people like me. I hear that all the time. (laughs) I'm about a nine for sure. (laughs) So I'm speaking with a unicorn. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much. (laughs) Oh my goodness. If you could have lunch with one person alive or dead, who would it be? I really would love to have lunch with uh, Elon Musk. He's a hero of mine. He's a bit of a, he's a bit of a, an odd one. <laughs> uh, and he's yep. such a big thinker that I just want to be in his space. So it'd be him. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Persian kebabs. <laughs> oh, wow. I understand. Yeah. They're great. <laughs> 
Would it be like? Would it be in particular made by anyone special? Uh, there's certain restaurants. Well, of course, my parents make it amazing. But uh, there's certain restaurants around Vancouver. <laughs> Shout out to Nima's parents. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> my my mom, my mom and dad together, they make a great team making it. But uh, there's amazing restaurants, and the the key is wherever I go, I try to find the the Persian restaurant that's there and and just love it. So if you need to, if you need a hookup in areas like L.A., San Diego where you should go in Vancouver, uh, Toronto, ask me and I'll, I'll, I'll hook you up, Mandy. Oh my gosh. I love that. Thank you, Nima. I love Persian kebab. What are you most excited about that's coming up? I'm most excited about my, uh, my events coming up. I have one in Vancouver in a month, uh, October. I have one in the next month is Australia. The next one is in Barcelona and the next one's in Dubai. And it's going to be really exciting to, to go out and to participate in something like that. It's going to be amazing. And I will be including the link to that in the notes just for everybody listening. So if you're interested, please click on that little link. And of course, as this is Pave Your Paradise podcast, what does paradise mean to you, Nima? How would you personally define paradise? Is a state of gratitude. And that's accessible to us at every moment when we can see that we are, it's just paradise is a state of gratitude. And that's it. And it's not based on anything that I have externally. It's just in this moment, can I be grateful for what is? And this is my challenge has been to to find paradise, even in the most difficult situations. And so paradise is gratitude. Is there anything you wish we talked about today? I think we covered it. I think we covered pretty much everything. I just really wanted to hammer home the the idea that relationships can transform only if you are willing to go deep and transform the relationship with yourself, your higher self, your younger self, and your dark self. <laughs> and because you're a healer and you do so much to give back, how can I and the audience of listeners serve you? How can we help you in the highest way, Nima? Well, uh, just if you have any questions uh, to participate, to join me in any of my online you know, workshops, my trainings, uh, if you... How you would help me is, you know, point me in the direction of people or audiences that really need to hear this message. And I would love to share this message with as many people as possible. Where is the best place to find you and to learn more about you and what you're creating in the world? Well, if you were to go on YouTube and watch my show Trigger Proof, it's on YouTube. These uh, I have a YouTube channel. It has my show. Definitely subscribe and watch that each and every week. It's called Trigger Proof. And uh, in those, they have the link to my online community, which is the Art of Powerful Alignment. I'm very accessible. If you have any questions, you can DM me on Instagram at D-R-N-I-M-A, at Dr. Nima. And I'm very accessible. If you have questions and you want help or you want to apply to come to one of my trainings and uh, learn how to regulate your nervous system and upgrade your intimacy, reach out. From the deepest place of gratitude, doctor and friend Nima, I am so grateful to have had you on the show today. There's so much wisdom that you bestowed upon myself and the audience. And thank you for sharing your story and your tribulations and your triumphs with us. And as I always like to say, I am wishing you your own piece of paradise. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me. If there's anyone you know who you think could benefit from hearing today's episode, it would mean the world if you'd share it with them. 
Love what you heard? Then please subscribe. If you really love what you heard, then please leave a review with your honest and loving thoughts. This podcast wouldn't be possible without your support. If you feel called to, please make contributions to my podcast fund that helps me to keep it going strong, bringing on amazing guests for you, and to continue the ripple effect of spreading goodness in the world. I appreciate you, your time, and your energy, and I love hearing from you, so drop me a line on social media. As always, I'm wishing you a positive day and your own piece of paradise. Until next time, sending you love and light and keep shining.